teens dismissed for their class downstairs. And the rest of us, we're going to pick up basically where we left off last week. And that is on a series on how to understand the Word of God. And last week we got through the first point of the introduction that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. God wants us to use His Word in our lives. And of course, everybody says they use the Bible. That's the problem. Uh, how many of you have ever seen one of those Tony Alamo papers laying around all over the place? And I mean, he's got scripture references plastered all over that thing. But have you ever really read what Tony Alamo says? He says, if you're going to be spiritual, you have to have more than one wife. I'm glad the Bible doesn't teach that kind of spirituality. Amen. And uh, Mr. Alamo is in prison for some very serious charges, and if they are true, which I have no doubt that they are, I hope he stays there for a very long time. But if you were to talk to him, he claims he uses the Bible. In fact, I don't know of any organization uh, on the face of the earth, even Islam says, oh, we believe the Bible. But do they? No. They say the whole New Testament was rewritten by people and has nothing to do with the true message of Jesus Christ, because if we want the true message of Jesus Christ, we've got to look in the book of Islam. Well, the question I have for them is, where was the true message of Jesus Christ for that nearly 600 years from the time he walked, and why was his disciples not right? And this guy that shows up after 600 A.D. that can't even read or write, how come he's right? And, of course, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. And some of this is going to be review uh, for many of you, and not trying to just preach to the choir tonight, but there are some passages that we've got to go to if we're going to set the basis, if we're going to deal with uh, how we know that God's Word is real and how to believe it, how to follow it. Because, like we said just in the introduction here, everybody says they follow the Bible. Now look at verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, this is Peter, the apostle. He traveled with Jesus. He certainly, uh, anytime you see Jesus doing things, oftentimes he would take the uh, nine of the 12 apostles and he would set them here and he'd take three, Peter, James, and John. When Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead, he took those three in. When he went to the Mount of Transfiguration, those three went with him. Remember what Peter did? And we're going to talk about that in just a minute because Peter's going to reference it here. Peter said, I got to say something. And he said, let's build three tabernacles, one for Elijah, one for Moses. Well, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And Jesus, let's not forget you. 
And, of course, he was rebuked for that. But what the simple statement Peter's making in verse 16 is one that people have leveled since the Bible was written. The disciples sat down and made all this stuff up. Now, if you read the testimony that was in the four Gospels, why would Peter include the part about denying the Lord if he was making stuff up? I mean, normally when we make things up, what do we do? We paint ourselves in the best picture, do we not? I mean, we we make ourselves look the best we can, and yet we see these men as real men. We see their mistakes. We see their unbelief. The disciples did not believe that Jesus was going to rise again from the dead. In fact, when Mary came back and said, He's risen from the dead, the angels have told me the two guys came back from the road to Emmaus. And it says that they refused to believe them until Jesus showed up in the midst and upbraided them for their foolishness and their faithless hearts. And Peter's saying, listen, we didn't sit down. Certainly, if we had sat down and made this stuff up, we could have done a better job. He said, but I want you to know we were eyewitnesses of his, talking about Jesus' majesty. And he's going to give us two examples here. For verse 17, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Verse 18, the second time, and this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Now, the first verse that we read here, verse 17 talking about the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus came to John, was baptized, he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, and a voice spoke from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Guess who was there watching it? Peter just said he was. You wonder where Jesus got his disciples Sometimes we get the idea that Jesus was just walking down the shore. Peter's a good guy. I'll pick him. No. Peter had already been involved with John the Baptist. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been there when Jesus was baptized. These were people. Andrew was a disciple of John. That's Peter's younger brother. These were people that had been following God out of a pure and simple heart. Peter said, I was there when Jesus was baptized. He said, when we were at the Mount of Transfiguration, we heard that same voice saying, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. That voice was not complimenting Peter. It was condemning Peter for making Moses and Elijah equal with Jesus Christ. It was saying, listen, this is the only Son of God, and you've got to listen to Him. If we don't start there, this book called the Bible makes absolutely no sense. This is the written Word. Jesus is the living Word. You can't separate the two. Amen? But look at verse 19. 
Peter says, we have also. He said, I heard God speak from heaven twice, but we have also a, what's that next word? More. Sure. Next two words. He said, I heard God speak from heaven, but more surely of a greater testimony, something that we should trust in more, is the word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation. For prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now what Peter is doing here is he's explaining to us the essence of the written word of God. I've heard many people make the claim or, or request and say, I just wish I could hear God speak from heaven once. Peter said, listen, I heard it twice. But we have a more sure word of prophecy. And again, the goal is to listen, is to obey what the Bible says. Now, how many of you remember the first time you picked up a Bible and tried to read it? Did it make a lot of sense? But the more you read it, the more you listened to preaching, the more sense it made. That's simply what's being said there in that verse. Until the day dawn and the day star, Jesus Christ, arise in your hearts. One of the reasons why we reject modern versions is because the translators like to change that word. Day star, which is two words in our King James Bible, to morning star. Now, is there really any difference between day star and morning star? Not really, but here's what they also do. They go back to Isaiah chapter 14. And there's a verse there that says, O Lucifer, son of the morning, and they change that to morning star and put a cross-reference in there that make both of those verses, you would think they were talking about the same person. Now, let me ask you a question. Who's Lucifer? The devil. Why would somebody make a cross-reference from 2 Peter chapter 1 to Isaiah chapter 14 unless they were trying to change the message of the Scriptures? First time somebody told me that, I just said, listen, I've studied this Bible thing all uh, my entire life in the ministry and nobody's that corrupt. They said, go get a new century Bible and check it out. The notes are there. That was the version that Pat Robertson was pushing a few years ago. I'll tell you what. I got it, checked it out, and the notes were there. Now, there is a religion that believes that you must have evil to have good. You must have good to have evil. How many of you remember Star Wars? I guess they're coming out with a new prequel or something like that. I mean, it's not a sequel anymore. Uh, uh, whatever it is. 
I'll tell you what. I never watched the first ones. I have no intention of watching any of the others. Because they are promulgating a false religion. Good does not need evil. Evil does not desire good. And yet, I'll tell you what, every one of us have seen what the yin and the yang, that's what that is all talking about, the ancient occultic symbol, talking about good and evil work together. Wrong. God is good. He gives us a choice. If you will allow the scripture to do its work, it will give you light and bring you to God. If you don't, You're going to be in darkness. That's all there is to it. Unless we understand the authoritative nature of this book, you're never going to allow this book to change you. If I can illustrate it in this point, how many of you have listened to talk radio, politics and all that stuff? I was just thinking about this the other day. I I have a little app on my phone and and uh, it said, I was looking for a certain radio program, one of those talk radio programs about politics. Guess where it was listed? Under entertainment. And then I remember hearing several of these talk show hosts who vehemently stand for certain points and really push the uh, conservative point of view and... When they're asked why they don't run for political office, they say, well, I'm an entertainer. Hey, let me tell you something. One of the reasons we have so much confusion in our politics is we have removed the debate of right and wrong from the debate of right and wrong and made it a point of entertainment. And that's why in the Christian realm, We've got guys like Joel Olstein and Rick Warren and, and Hybels doing Broadway shows on Sunday night because it generates people. But if we relegate the point of the Word of God to a point of entertainment, who's going to pay attention and change their lives to agree with the Word of God? What we've done is we have undermined the authority of the Word of God to make it more enjoyable for ourselves. If we're going to understand the Bible, we've got to realize this isn't entertainment, my friend. This is God's authoritative commands for mankind. And we must Submit ourselves to them. And the only way that that's going to happen is when we keep reading and we keep filling our lives and we understand that this wasn't something that somebody just invented. When Jesus wrote, uh, told stories, uh, Luke 16, the rich man Lazarus, we're going to go through that. That was not just a made up fable to illustrate a point. That was a real story. Jesus knew the names. Real events by which we should change our lives. And then verses 20 and 22, 
uh, 20 and 21, I'm sorry, says, Knowing this first, no prophecy of the Scriptures is of any private interpretation. Now, what that simply means is if you're the only one smart enough to figure it out, you're wrong. And one of the things that I constantly try to remind everyone here, as you, you attend this church, you're a member here, you've got a responsibility. You're supposed to take the preaching home and check it out according to the Scriptures. Now, I work very hard to make sure that I'm not teaching something that isn't in the Bible. But as a human being, I've put Moses on the ark and a few other things like that on occasion and gotten names switched around in different things. And those are just simple human mistakes. But let me tell you, you want to be careful about those. Amen. And the other thing is, nobody's right about everything all the time. People are going to make mistakes. Now, don't come and correct me on my English. Most of the time when I use incorrect grammar, I use it on purpose. Just to irritate people who I know. Uh, I use the word ain't going to happen, the phrase sometimes, because what it does is it gets your attention. That is a purposeful mistake. But we better make sure that... If I'm preaching something that comes that that I say is in the Bible, you ought to be able to read it there yourself. That's the essence of teaching true Bible. Is when you're done, you say, "That's what that verse means. That makes sense. That fits within the realm of Scripture." And you know what? Sometimes we will look and and we'll get something in our heads or in our heart. They just might not be right. What I'd ask you to do is give preacher the benefit of the doubt because I've been studying this book a little longer than you have. Amen? And let's work. And I've had long, long discussions with many people about different points that we might disagree on, but... We'll get into the rules of biblical understanding, and one of the main rules is, and we'll, like I said, we'll build this later, this is just very quick, is when you understand one passage, it should not contradict any other passage. If you look at one passage of Scripture, uh, just one quick example is, uh, we call it the Olivet Discourse. Twice in that Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. Now that verse would really lend itself to the Pentecostal doctrine of unless you keep the faith, you lose your salvation. But what did Jesus say in John chapter 10? I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Do we have a contradiction in Scripture? Well, wait a minute. If Scripture is authoritative, if it is God-breathed, then we cannot have a contradiction in Scripture. 
What we have is a contradiction in understanding. So now we've got to go back and we've got to correlate these two ideas and put these two verses and put them together. And we will endeavor to do this on many occasions over the next several Sunday nights. But let me just suffice it to say that if you're truly saved, you will endure to the end because you have the eternal life that Jesus already gave you. You see, that does not contradict either passage. Is Jesus under an obligation to explain everything every time he says it? No. You're under an obligation to spend time in the book and study it out. Amen? And so we want to be careful because if you are the only one that figures something out, uh, can I give you one extreme example here? And we'll not trade. I had a man several years ago call me up on the telephone. Some of you have heard this story. He said, I've got to meet with you, Pastor. I've just got to meet with you. And I'm sitting here going, oh boy, what is this about? I said, well, if you can come to a service, I said, I could probably meet with you after. Oh, no, no, I can't do that. I'll tell you what, I don't meet with people don't come to services, and this story is one of the reasons why. Uh, Finally, rearranged my whole schedule so I could meet with this fella, and he proceeded to tell me that God had given him specific revelation that during the tribulation period, he was going to transmit food to the Christians who were suffering through their television sets, and the food would materialize in their living rooms. My first question was, have you seen your doctor lately? No. I wanted to ask him that question, but I didn't. I said, there's only one problem with your, with your revelation. He said, what's that? I said, well, if we believe and understand correctly about this thing called the rapture, the church is taken out before the tribulation begins and there won't be any need for God to transmit food to the Christians, to the the church members that are left during the tribulation period because they're going to be gone. I never thought about that. I said, well, why don't you go home and think about it some more? All right, and he did and... We've both been happy ever since because we've never seen each other again. And uh, let me tell you something. God does not speak to you that way. Your protection from all of the deceit in the world is this book called the Bible. Stay in it. If you can't read it, In plain English, if you have a King James Bible, and if you don't read plain English, then uh, we'll get you a Bible that fits your language. But uh, uh, if you're an English-speaking person, you ought to learn enough about the language to understand this book. It takes some effort, but let me tell you, God's Word is worth understanding. Amen? Get out the dictionary. Spend some time. It's not of any private interpretation because the words did not come at the women fancy of men. The Bible says that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. God has given us his words. It's profitable for doctrine, what we believe, for reproof to tell us that we're wrong. 
for correction, how to fix it, for instruction in righteousness, how to keep it that way. Amen? And I just want us to look at one more passage tonight. Uh, well, maybe, maybe more than that. Let's go to Psalm chapter 12 very quickly. And uh, again, if you've been through discipleship, you've been through these verses. I hope you don't mind hearing them again. Uh, these, these are just important things that we need to be reminded of occasionally. And again, it sets the foundation for what we are talking about here in how to understand the Word of God, because if we don't start right, we're never going to end up right. Psalm 12, verse 6 and 7, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Now, how many of you have ever read anything on the history of how we have gotten our Bible, how we have the Bible today. You're going to hear one phrase over and over again. You're going to hear the phrase, inspired originals, and you'll hear the phrase about preserved word of God. Now, there are many that believe that the God's preservation and God's inspiration ended with the original manuscripts. And once they were worn out and lost, there's nothing left. Now, what I'm saying is, if we do not have preservation, as this verse says, it says, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, from this generation forever. By the way... Moses' law on Mount Sinai was already close to 600 years old when David wrote these things. If God's word, if God's preservation stopped when Paul's manuscript that he wrote to Timothy, if we choose that one, wore out and, and uh, was copied and disappeared then, friends, we have no authoritative Word of God today. Because all we have is copies of copies of copies. Now, what does this mean? Thou shalt preserve them. The best way I know how to describe it, illustrate it, was when we were, when I was a child, grew up, we had three peach trees in the yard. My mom would put up anywhere from 80 to over 100 quarts of peaches. They were preserved in heavy syrup, unlike what you get in the store. I mean, they were sweet peaches. And in the middle of the winter, one of my most favorite things to do was to go down in the basement and get a jar of preserved peaches. Now, you know what? You can preserve peaches by freezing them. I don't like frozen peaches. They turned to mush when you thaw them out. These peaches tasted like, to me anyway, uh, they tasted almost as good as just picking it off the tree and eating it right there. Guess what? You can argue all day about frozen versus canned, but if they're peaches 
and they're not rotten. They've been preserved. You can argue all day about how God preserved his word, but the simple fact that I'm holding a copy of it in my hand tells us that we have something. Amen? And you can argue about manuscripts and dot, jots and tittles, but Jesus said not one jot or one tittle shall disappear till all the law be fulfilled. I knew a guy that wrote a thousand-page book on jots and tittles. thousand pages. You know what I want to do? I just want to keep reading this book called the Bible. Divine inspiration without divine preservation is just an excuse for you to go through and change the words of God. And that's what most scholarship is doing today. We can compare the manuscripts that are out there. In fact, if you want to know why, very little work is being done in the field of collation, which, which is honest manuscript comparison. It's because the work was done in the 1500s for our New Testament. That's why we have what we call the Textus Receptus, if you're Latin, or the Received Text. There's no need to redo what's already been done. What they are doing is they're going through manuscripts that were discarded and deemed unqualified to be used in that process and trying to come up with a new text. Listen, God has promised to preserve his word. It is. We can trust it. That's why in English we only use the old King James Bible. But if we're going to understand God's word, and this is our last point for tonight, we got to go to Second First uh, Corinthians chapter two. We got to understand something. These are God's words, and if we're going to understand them. God's going to have to help us understand them. Look at verse 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God... For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but in the but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things... Yet he himself is judged of no man, for who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have 
the mind of Christ. This passage here, Paul is writing to the Corinthians. He is explaining to them. Ladies, you'll never understand what it is to be a man. Don't try. Guys, if you really want something that will help your marriage, don't try to figure out your wife. Treat her properly as a woman. You can't understand what it is to be a woman because you're not one. Praise God, he made us different. Amen? Amen? You don't believe that? Maybe I ought to be teaching on Valentine's Day or something. Listen, God made us different for a reason. But he says, this is different. These aren't your words. These are my words. And if you want to understand them, not because there's some hidden meaning in there that no one can discern, we call that the allegorical method of understanding the scriptures, which we totally reject. Uh, Do not recommend. There are not hidden things in the Bible. In fact, the way I like to put it is there's so many things written down that we're not doing. Let's take care of them first. Amen? Let's get taken care of the things that we can do and trust the Holy Spirit of God to take care of the things that we don't understand. And unless we pray and ask God to help us understand this book called the Bible, we're not going to understand it. It's authoritative. It is preserved. It is kept by God. And God must help us to understand it. When you read your Bible, I hope you're doing your daily Bible reading schedule. Um, Somebody said, Pastor, that is so much I can't keep up. Try. Work at it. Just, Just read your Bible. You cannot, if you don't have one, see Peter after the service, he'll get you one. Amen? You'll get them, right, Peter? Okay. Just want to make sure you're awake back there. Okay. If you don't get in the book, the Holy Spirit can't teach you what is in the book. It talks about comparing spiritual things with spiritual How are you to compare something if it's not written down? It's not talking about comparing whims and fancies. It's not talking about comparing uh, your ideas of what you think about God versus someone else's ideas of what they think about God. It's taking this book and comparing Scripture with Scripture, as Paul put it to Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God. You're not to study your human nature or your human ideas. You're to study what God has written down. And that's what gives us unity in this church. Is because we study what is written down and we agree not because... If you argue with preacher, he'll tear you apart. No, that's not what it's about. We agree because we read and we find out 
that it's not a private interpretation. It's not something only some super smart person can figure out. It's what God has written down and the Holy Spirit gives us unity of doctrine and heart and soul so that we can serve God together even though we're human beings with sin natures and we make mistakes and we do things wrong. Love covers a multitude of sins. God is love. And we find out about his love in this book. And when we agree here, we can overlook the things that we got problems with and serve God together in his church. That's how you understand the scriptures. That's the basis. And we're going to do some exercises over the next several um, Sunday nights by God's grace. And uh, I hope it will be a blessing to you because the goal is not to have you come to church to hear me interpret the scripture for you every week. It's to give you the tools to learn how to do so on your own so that you can serve God not just because preacher says so. I remember when I was a student of Bible college, I went to school with some people. And they said, I believe the Bible's the word of God. And I began talking to them about that. And the only reason they did was because their preacher said so. I said, you know what? That's not good enough. I don't want a church full of people because preacher said so. I don't want to take that responsibility. The Bible doesn't give me that responsibility. It gives me the responsibility of challenging each individual member to study this book and be convinced that what we are teaching is the words of God. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly